Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed podcast for Monday, August 9th, 2021. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today? Well, Joe, we are going to have a very special episode. We are going to have a conversation, discuss some of the most contentious topics in our public discourse, making sure to take information seriously, no matter where it comes from, doing our best to remain in good faith. Hopefully, in the course of these events, we will keep ourselves and our loyal listeners adequately informed. Yeah, we're finally doing the pineapple on pizza debate. Um, I say it's bad. Uh, I'm, I, I don't really care. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you picked a contentious subject that you personally had no strong feelings about. Hey, you said it was the most, some of the contentious topics of our public or whatever. It's not contentious to me, but anyway, (laughs) um, you know, we realize that we are not on the ivory tower. We, we realize that points of view can come from other places. And I think, um, that's really gonna, our ability to operate in good faith is going to be tested in this episode, and we hope to do um, it justice by having a conversation where we try to um, realize that our viewpoint is not the only one that matters. But uh, anyway, Evan, what are we talking about today? We're talking about vaccines. The miracle breakthrough that we were all hoping for has come. We, we knocked out the COVID vaccine in record time, and yet a failure by the population of the country to actually participate in vaccination is stalling our progress against COVID-19. So we're going to take a look at the history of vaccines, sort of the legal implications, and uh, dive into what the current controversy is about. Yeah, we did a book report for y'all. I hope you like it. Um, oh, this isn't going to be too book reporty. I, I I'm going to be spitting jokes the whole time. Okay. I mean, I, I, I mean, my book reports had a good number of jokes. Didn't get good grades though. Um, that's not true. I got great grades. Um, well, but, it helps that you went to clown college. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> You got to laugh out of me, Evan. Uh, um, Market in the books, folks. I've known Joe for, let's see, probably like uh, 12 years. And that's laugh number three. Laugh number three. <laughs> and there's number four right behind. Coming in. Coming in hot. <laughs> when, it pour, when it rains, it pours. Um, so, Evan, Evan, let's. Where, where, where do we start? Where, what, let's, where do we talk about vaccines? You know, we have our current day, but what about before the current day? Yeah, so I want to peg the conceptualization of vaccines back to the Chinese medical response to smallpox. This is kind of viewed as the first attempt to medically intervene against a disease through intentional infection. So... What happened in China was they would take scabs and pus from people who were infected with smallpox. This was like, you know, hundreds of years ago and sort of grind them into a little powder and then have people inhale the powder. And this then, you know, gave them an infection. But then later down the road, they would not be able to get smallpox again. So it was sort of a controlled method of infecting people to achieve immunity. And so that that you know that worked pretty well for the context, 
but it still kind of involved getting sick with smallpox for a little bit. So it was an English physician named Edward Jenner who in 1798 noticed that milkmaids who worked with cows that were infected with cowpox didn't get the much more deadly and much more serious smallpox. And so he, you know, he didn't really know why, you know, there wasn't a lot of known about virology and about the human immune system, but he noticed the connection and he wanted to test it out. So he took pus from there's a lot of pus in this it's really pretty freaking gross these are much better now (laughs) um took pus from a a milkmaid who he knew had been exposed to cowpox and injected it into a little child you know uh how he got the parents to consent to that i don't know they did Um, okay well that's great most of Um, the time stuff like that they were they tested on orphans like orphans and stuff yeah, yeah yeah Yeah, the the society's attitudes towards children have uh, drastically changed in the last, I mean, people will say the last 20 years or 50 years, but completely in the last, like, few hundred years. Yeah, I mean, you know, at least when he was infected, you know, he got a couple days off from the mine, so mm. not not too bad. No, I don't know, but um, yeah. yeah, so the, the kid became sick with cowpox which is much milder than smallpox and then this is the kicker jenner deliberately exposed the kid to real smallpox you know which like could have killed him but his theory about immunity was correct and the kid did not become infected with the smallpox so he had achieved immunity and there were thankfully more medical updates along the way and by 1980 we had completely eradicated smallpox from the known world yeah they, i i was when i was reading this there was some uh you know chart i was looking at or a table and it was like you know in in uh you know 1900 or you know something in the early 20th century there was like something like you know forty thousand you know infections of smallpox that were still happening and by the year 2000 there were zero you know wow so yeah. so that that one is like a total success story um yeah or the power of vaccines so here's another uh, important moment in the history of vaccination this was when we realized that we didn't have to give people entire diseases and make them go through the illness once before they could become immune and that was in 1879 louis pasteur was doing some experiments with cholera he did a lot of stuff he did you know he was he was a true renaissance man because he was french french renaissance all right see Uh, i I tell you folks it's few and far between i'm sorry i'm sorry i wasn't there on backup that's okay that's okay i just uh you know i feel like i have to live up to my promise of cracking a bunch of jokes we're gonna have a low batting average but we're just gonna keep (laughs) taking swings So Pasteur, uh, 1879, he was working with the with with the disease of cholera and he was supposed to be he had an assistant who was supposed to inject chickens with cholera to see, you know, if they would get sick, would they recover? All all that good stuff of science. And his assistant fucked up and left the cholera culture out. And then they all kind of went on vacation and then they came back after like a month 
and the cholera at that time had been exposed to oxygen, which I guess is bad for cholera. I know, right? Like uh, they, they they don't like it. Those cholera's they're very no. I was anaerobic. just breathing. Oh, you're trying to kill off your cholera. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, they said, you know, fuck it. I guess you know we don't want to go buy more cholera, so we're just going to inject it into the chickens anyway, and. The weakened cholera disease produced a much milder response in the chickens. They didn't get as sick, but they still had the same immunity defense because, as we know now, the body's immune system learns how to respond to viruses and then has its defense system activated for the future, even if that initial viral infection isn't super harmful. Mm -hmm. So... Nowadays, uh, well, I guess nowadays vaccines are even more advanced, but eventually they switched from just leaving cholera in your lab to different chemical compounds, which chemically weakened viruses, and then using that to form vaccines. Yeah, they did science stuff. (laughs) Yeah, crazy. We're and big so, science yeah, they, people, aren't we, Evan? Oh yeah, they just yeah, you know. Here, here's here's how I see it. We enter into a lab. They have like you know a chicken cholera, and then they just like flex seal slap some science onto it, and it gets better. <laughs> yeah, I just watch uh, 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 live streams of science labs. You know, that's what that's how you you partake in science, right? I don't know. Yeah, as far yeah. as I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, yeah. Remember, I know we're not the experts. More... We're only adequately informed. Yeah, I think this is adequate. You, if, if you don't think this is adequate, I defy you to email the podcast and call me out. Podcast at adequatelyinformed.com. Yeah, damn straight. So, yeah, there's there's been a bunch of additional technical breakthroughs. Now you can kind of, in most cases, make vaccines that don't even have any live virus in them. You just can make basically uh, a compound that gives off the important identifiers of that virus to your body. So your body attacks kind of the fake virus and you get the same immunity effect despite never actually having to get sick. So it is a vaccination is despite our lack of intricate knowledge of the science behind it, it is a scientific process that has been developed over hundreds and hundreds of years by both reckless people and those with a little bit uh, higher ethics. <laughs> it's crazy how much, how many uh, scientific breakthroughs there are of just like, I don't know, just random shit happening. Like, oh, we left cholera sitting out for a month. All right, let's do the science anyway. (laughs) Yeah, like, that's my favorite thing, is that they were like, well, we're still going to do it. I I recently watched this uh, Fox Explained episode on Netflix about sugar, and, like, two or three times, two of the major, or some of the major um, artificial sweeteners that we use were figured out because some chemist was doing work in a lab and then at some point they taste like their hands or something <laughs> that they hadn't washed thoroughly and it was sweet. <laughs> like, it just just crazy stuff like that. They weren't even, he, like, trying to make a sweetener. They just were like, huh, my hand's sweet right now. What is this? 
Can you imagine that being your job? You're just like working on, I don't know, some like waterproofing equipment and then you, you, you know, you're not very good. You fuck up and you also don't wash your hands and then you're just at home licking your hands and you're like, you know what? Aspartame. <laughs> this is it. I found it out. I figured it out. <laughs> and, and your colleagues are like, figured what out, you motherfucker? <laughs> I'm going I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. Just running out of the building, grabbing your hat and coat and briefcase like you do back in the day. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the general idea of vaccines. They've been in development for a long time, or at least the general theory of how vaccines work have been around for a while. And as you know, for, I mean, in some ways, as long as there has been, you know, vaccines or ways to you know protect yourself against the virus as I mean, I guess more into the, you know, further along there ended up being mandates because there is this idea of the tragedy of the commons or another way to call it is herd immunity. And what what is the tragedy of the commons? It's this idea that there is some common good out there that everybody has access to. But it's no one individual's responsibility to take care of it. So what happens is that everybody uses it, but then nobody takes care of it so it can be destroyed. And so this often comes up in environmental ideas, right? Like the air we breathe is a common. So we all need the air and clean air is beneficial to all of us. But there's not any one company that's really going to be completely ruined if they pollute the air. So right. most people figure we can pollute the air some and, you know, it's never going to come back to hurt me. And that's how you end up with a bunch of air pollution. Right. Their individual action of polluting the air doesn't, you know, hurt it. But it's not the backbreaker. Yeah. Yeah. But but everybody decides they can do that. It's called the free rider problem is that yeah. if you if you don't have the direct incentive to act well, if you can just ride for free on the tragedy of the commons on the commons, rather, and hope that other people make the right decision, you can you can get ahead by doing something that is worse for the collective. Right. Um, I, I got two more examples. If if you don't if it, you know anyone doesn't quite get it, um, the classic economics boring example is um, a field for grazing. So, like one thing that would happen in like ye olde England before they had a bunch of rules for everything was everybody had basically free use of the land. Like land ownership wasn't a thing quite the same way back then. So, you know, there would be this field that people could create graze cows on, and nobody paid for the field and nobody upkept it. They just had their cows graze on the field. So people would just increasingly have more and more and more and more cows graze on this field. And while the quality of their cattle would go down, it would be supplement by just having more cattle. And then eventually there was just no field to graze on because it was nobody's one individual responsibility to take care of the grass on the field but everybody wanted the resource of the grazing field for their cattle to make money. Um, so the field got destroyed. The commons was you know, destroyed. Another one that I tend to think of and um, maybe more, a little bit more applicable or you know, more people would understand is um, 
doing dishes in like a college apartment, <laughs> um, which is something that I, I would see as a sometimes a tragedy of the commons where if you aren't explicitly responsible for just your dishes and you just kind of put them all in the sink and there's a chance that one of your roommates may come along and just do them all then it turns out then there's no individual responsibility to keep all the dishes clean and you just kind of because yeah everyone is thinking the same thing oh maybe the other guys will do it yeah so so then all of a sudden you have a sink where every dish is dirty and just (laughs) sitting in there in filth um so that's the joe and i joe and i were roommates for a year but we did this um (laughs) interpret this as you will yeah um so so what is the commons in vaccine well the the commons is basically good health or being able to be protected from the virus or viruses whatever you want with uh you know whichever you want and the idea is that you can reach population level immunity if you have a high enough number of people having been inoculated or having immunity against a virus. And this can happen at different levels of vaccination, but you know, generally you want something pretty high, close to 90, 95%. And the yeah. way, it, oh, the, you go the, ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say that, you know, the reason why you can obtain herd immunity without achieving like a hundred percent vaccination rate is that if there are some people who are still vulnerable, unvaccinated, whatever, hopefully they're far enough apart from each other within the society that it's difficult for the virus to spread between the individuals who are still vulnerable. So the virus can effectively die out that way. Yeah. Virus can't live in your body for very long or maybe it can. I don't know. I'm not fully. Depends on the virus. Yeah. Yeah, It depends on the virus. And the way, you know, to continue to survive, it needs to transmit between different, you know, bodies. It needs to get to new bodies to infect, to try and mutate and, you know, whatever the life cycle of the virus. Well, if most people are immune to it, it can't effectively you know, find new bodies to infect. And then in effect, it ends up dying out because it doesn't have new people to infect. But if there is an adequate amount of people who aren't vaccinated or immune to the virus, then the virus can spread and mutate and do all the bad stuff that we know about. I mean, and then like, you know, over history, you've seen clusters of, you know, even though we have the measles vaccine, a group of people will, you know, a group of kids at school, their parents won't vaccinate them. And then there will be like a measles outbreak. at a Yeah, school. yeah. There was like a pretty bad measles outbreak in like 2011, 2012, even though it, you know, it should be eradicated. Yeah. At least in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, that's a that's a tragedy of the commons thing where like individually you know if i had a kid and i didn't vaccinate them against you know most of the things one they wouldn't be able to go to school but that's my next topic um but (laughs) but like their chances of getting sick would be very low still because everybody else is vaccinated 
But if there were enough kids who weren't vaccinated in this area and my kid fraternized with them, that, that makes it sound bad. Kids played with them or in close contact. I don't know. No, and, no. I think I think your kid is like he's in a full suit. He's got a bowler hat. He's stopping by at the milk bar for some fraternization with his colleagues. Yeah. And harassing people. Oh, I need to raise this kid better. Come um, on, Joe. Yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, it, it, it just increases the chance of getting it, but the chances are still low for the individual. So there isn't a ton of, um, you know, incentive to get vaccinated, which brings us to the legal history of max or vaccine mandates. Um, so it, (laughs) this, a vaccine mandate essentially um, absolves or, or solves the free rider problem. It just makes it so that anyone who's wanting to participate in whatever thing, whether it be, I don't know, life, school, um, military service, what have you, you have to be vaccinated to protect against this virus. And it's I have the equivalent of saying if you want to use the field, you got to plant X amount of grass. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to do a little something. You got to you got to till it or something, I don't know. But um big farmers up in here. Big farmers. We, I <laughs> um so where where do vaccine mandates start? Well, I'll I'll give a kind of folklore example that I've seen floating around and one that's a little bit more concrete. The folklore example is that um, I didn't fully look into the story, so take it with a grain of salt, that George Washington during the Revolutionary War um, made it uh, rule that all the revolutionary forces, the militias, had to be inoculated against smallpox. And as a result, no revolutionary units were um, stricken by smallpox. So, it, you know, it could even be seen that our vaccine mandates go all the way back to the beginning and founding of our country. But the little bit more substantiated um, uh, version of this uh, vaccine mandates is that um, the first real legal requirement for a vaccine mandate came in the 1850s in Massachusetts for school children to prevent the, the transmission of smallpox. And this was one of the first time, I mean, this is like the first real recorded version. And, um, you know, in its day, um, you know, it was seen as a good thing. Um, there were definitely people who fought it, but... Um, there was definitely seen that uh, the governments had the legal authority to do that. And then it, you know, all the way up until 1905 is when we see our first Supreme Court case dealing with um, a vaccine mandate. Um, in this case, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, where I believe that um, the state of Massachusetts had some law about participating in like higher ed. I think Jacobson was working for for some college um, or what have you and was, you know, trying to fight the vaccine mandate. And 
Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which happened in 1905, was where we first get our first, you know, bedrock of the legal authority for uh, the governments to mandate vaccines. And they even, um, you know, and Jacobson even, you know, had those arguments about personal freedom and all this kind of stuff. And I have this real good quote from uh, the case. Um, it's, you know, the court elaborated on tension between personal freedom and public health inherent in liberty. They said the liberty secured by the Constitution of the United States to every person within its jurisdiction does not import an absolute right in each person to be at all times and in all circumstances wholly freed from restraint. There are manifold restraints to which every person is necessarily subject for the common good. On any other basis, organized society could not exist with safety to its members. So the Supreme Court basically threw down is, yeah, while we do grant freedoms, you do not have the freedom to put the public health in danger. And by not being vaccinated, you are putting the public health in danger. And this came under the um, you know, guise of the state's policing power um, that you know is more or lesser broad, but the policing power that the state or governments have um, is really about uh, protecting the public health and public safety. And vaccines is just like right in there protecting the public health and uh, public safety. And uh, so in 1905, the matter was put to bed forever. The end. Yep, the end. Um, but there were a couple more cases that had to do um, with vaccination. Um, but it was basically finding that, um, you know, there really aren't a whole lot of circumstances under which you can be well basically there is no constitutional right to not be vaccinated whether on religious or philosophical terms like this the constitution then does not provide as it has been determined you know interpreted as having any case on which someone is constitutionally obligated to be exempt from vaccination rules now, some states do allow some exemptions, um, but they are not constitutionally mandated to. It's their own choice. But just kind of in a general sense, there were a couple cases. Um, there was um, Zuck v. King in 1922 that argued that, um, you know, forcing mandates does not break your 14th Amendment rights. Um, there was Maricopa County versus... They're always in the mix, aren't they? Maricopa County has a lot of weird stuff. You know, they, they really hit above their weight. Um, Maricopa <laughs> County Health Department versus Harmon actually ruled that um, the right to... Um, the right to attend school or state, you know, provided school does not uh, triumph over um, a vaccine mandate. So you, 
if you choose not to get vaccinate or you're, you know, you choose to not vaccinate your kid, you don't still have the right to go to school. Um, that like doesn't trump it. So that's a um, interesting thing. And then there have been other challenges where, um, you know, some people will say it's freedom of expression under like the First Amendment or religious, uh, you know, grounds. Those have not been upheld by court. So they have basically said that there is no First Amendment grounds to challenge a vaccine mandate. And they have also challenged it among privacy concerns. Um, and they're, um, they do not recognize a private C right in the context of needing high vaccination rates. And also, also they, go ahead. Uh, I want to go back to the freedom of religion point because there's something kind of interesting that I think is present, but not always talked about because the group that it affects is really small, but in the religion of Jainism, they have a policy to not do harm to any living organism at all, which includes, you know, bacteria and viruses. And so Jains historically has have objected to vaccination because the, you know, historically vaccines require weakening a virus and causing harm to that virus to then inject it into your body and so that you know clearly like joe said they they have not gained a legal foothold there and you know they're unlikely ever to because of the small size of their sect at least within the united states but it it is kind of a there, there are broader complaints here that aren't just like the you know what you would think of as like the white christian conservative guy yeah crying. <laughs> it it isn't always just uh one person's church with their one pastor deciding that their interpretation of the bible is that you shouldn't have to have vaccines um, because <laughs> it's the hot topic and that's me being a little bad faith but i'm going to do a little dig there this, um, this is where we said straight up some of the stuff it's very hard to stay in good faith some yeah, of it is yeah. but uh but we're, we're, we're getting back on track we're trying um but then there's also a general um kind of legal doctrine called uh parents patriae i believe i pronounced that correctly someone correct me if i'm wrong um it's kind of a legal doctrine that the state has a uh a duty to look out for the welfare of children and by vaccinating them that is you know under the guise of looking out for their welfare in school um so we <laughs> it is very well established in american legal context that vaccine mandates are legally valid they are wholly constitutional and that there really isn't any legal room to fight them. Um, and even they've even made the distinction that it doesn't matter if it's in an epidemic or not um, because of, you know, how viruses work. It has been ruled that, you know, it's not even just an emergency use. You can mandate uh, vaccines in non-pandemic, non-epidemic times. So, um, yeah, 
the legal arguments are there in the United States, governments of any kind and private institutions of basically any kind can institute vaccine mandates. So what do we do with that? <laughs> it's almost like we're leading to a conclusion here, uh, a, an overarching idea. <laughs> so are we a show with a point to make? Maybe, maybe we're here with a point to make. So, so how to how how we're here today? COVID nineteen. It's been a it's been a long go, hasn't it? And then we do like a. <laughs> It's like a door of the explorer bed, and then it's like, how bad has it been? Bad. Yeah, it's been bad. Um, so, like Evan said earlier, we finally have the COVID-19 vaccine. We have vaccines. We we are so lucky to have multiple ones. But Also, like Dora the Explorer, we did it. We did it. We did it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um... We have these vaccines and these are new vaccines. They are, I mean, the Johnson and Johnson is still kind of like the old version of vaccines, but we have the new MRNA vaccines and how do these work? So like, like Evan said, it's like we inject a little bit of DNA and then the cells take that DNA and they basically produce a little bit of the virus and that in of itself is able to reproduce a little bit of immunity. The way I kind of think about it is like fire drills. Like the old vaccines are like if you had a fire drill, but for some reason someone was like, okay, we got to start a controlled fire in this building to replicate <laughs> having a fire drill. Um Whereas, you know, the new mRNA vaccines are like having a fire drill, but nobody's setting anything on fire. You know, you that don't is need a damn to. fine analogy. Yeah, it's just very good. So so you're still get you know, your body's still working through the motions, but there is absolutely no danger. And there is. Well, I shouldn't say absolutely, because when we talk about these things, um, I read a CDC history of vaccines before this. And they said this line several times. It's like, um, vaccines are safe and effective, but vaccines aren't wholly safe and wholly effective. You know, if you have a fire drill, that's not going to stop someone from tripping down the stairs and getting hurt while they're evacuating. Right. And even if you do the fire drill, when, you know, a fire comes someday it may be that some people still don't survive because they didn't, you know, do the whole mm-hmm. thing that they were supposed to or whatever they were supposed to wasn't too effective. So, um, broadly, 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 these COVID vaccines prevent the, um, catching of the coronavirus, even the Delta variant. Well, I mean, there's, I, I don't know. There's some of these percentages that I don't know. And they, they're in flux because what, I mean, as we're going to get to with like people and their anti-vax comments is that they're, I mean, this is almost like the gun control ba- debate where you can slice up the statistics and 
many different ways and there's different ways that you can go at it and, you know, kind of do a gotcha, like found something here. But in general, these vaccines prevent people from getting the coronavirus to a great magnitude. And if you get a vaccine, if you are vaccinated and still get the coronavirus, you are something like 10 times less likely to be hospitalized than someone who's unvaccinated. And you're also like a hundred times less likely to die than someone who's unvaccinated. So it's a very good product. Um, it's a very good thing. I've been vaccinated. Evan's been vaccinated. Um, With the Johnson and Johnson. I'm the only one I know who got J&J. Who else? Somebody, please. Tell yeah, me. yeah, because they had that whole weird thing where they were being weird about it. Yeah, um, but it makes me feel special, though. Yeah, <laughs> you got the one thing, um, but it has been fa- and but even though these vaccines are very effective against the coronavirus and greatly help the vast majority of people who get them, there are still some people who have adverse side effects. So it's turned out that about. of people who have gotten vaccines have had vaccine-related, like, either allergic reactions or have had more severe versions of symptoms where they've needed to go to the hospital or reported to a practitioner. Um, And then of that, about 1% of those people have died, so about... 0.1, 0.2% of people who have received vaccines have died. Um, I think as a result of them, but I'm not 100% sure. And that is still something. That is still something that exists. But that we have, I mean, I tend to say we have tons of things that have a risk of death in our lives that we take on that are way greater than 0.1% chance. Dangerous fire drills. Yeah. You know, (laughs) these fire drills where we have fires. Um, (laughs) So these vaccines are safe and I hate, you know, it's almost like I wish I could talk about the good and the bad in proportion to how good and bad they are. But It's really easy to say they're good, and it takes a lot of time to explain in the small ways that they're bad, but that just takes up a lot of time. So, you know, I end up just talking about, you know, a lot of the bad, but they're so good. They're so good. Um, Compared to most medical interventions, vaccines are about the best thing that we have. But as we get into it, it turns out that not everybody is about it. Um, As we speak right now, we just crossed the threshold in the United States of having 50% of people fully vaccinated, um, which is relative, well, it is relatively low for being the nation that invented the vaccines and have (laughs) the most vaccine availability throughout the world. Indiana's lower than that. Yeah. Not by much, but like high 40s. Yeah. Yeah, everything's kind of trudging along. So why aren't people getting vaccines? Evan, you want to spitball? 
Well, um, there's a number of objections. Mostly it has come down to uh, polarization, I would say, seems like a lot of it. It has become a political issue where it seems, and not that it is you know, entirely left versus right, but it seems like a lot of people who fall on the more conservative side of the spectrum are raising complaints about medical autonomy, which, as we've said, has been litigated for over 100 years and has no legal standing, or people raise concerns about the long-term effects of the vaccine or the fact that it's not fully approved yet, but it all seems to kind of boil down to, uh, you know, they can't make me and I'm not gonna. Well, all right. So I'll give a few of the more good faith explanations for vaccine hesitancy. Um, one is that there are, is still a large group of people who, I mean, this is correlated with politics, but have believed that the coronavirus has not been a big deal. Um, there, are, there is a fair number of people who have believed that the, you know, the issues with the virus have been overblown, that it's not too bad. And if you believe that the virus is not too bad or not, you know, this huge thing, then you're going to end up believing that the risks associated with getting vaccinated are actually higher than getting the actual virus itself, which is not true. But if someone has been in an information ecosystem and all this kind of stuff to believe that uh, the virus is not a big deal and the vaccine is a big deal, um, then, you know, they're going to be hesitant to get it. Mm -hmm. um, there's another uh, section of people where they really just need a mandate to do it. Um, uh, you know, like a lot of people or, you know, some things in my life and other people's lives that if you're not strictly told to do it, you're just going to keep putting it off. And this also gets into a realm where it's actually can be kind of burdensome to get the vaccine, especially for people who are poor, who tend to be the people who are less vaccinated. Um, because while uh, the vaccines are free, there are still costs associated with getting it. You know, you have to get an appointment, which may mean taking off of work. And not everybody has the ability to take off of work, whether their boss lets them or not, or they just need the money from working. Then they go and get it, and then they may need a day or two to recover from it because these vaccines tend to have side effects. So there are some people who may just be leery of getting it because one, they need to take time off of work and two, they may need to take more time off of work because they um, are experiencing side effects. And even if you do have the ability to take time off of work, there are transportation costs and well, I guess really transportation costs that people are, are trying to solve around, you know, like there are companies like Uber who will, donate a ride to get a vaccination but mm -hmm. that's certainly not universally accessible yeah and so it it does pose a barrier for some 
There is also a large, well, I mean, a large number of people within the remaining unvaccinated population who say that they would really prefer to get the vaccine in the comfort of their own doctor's office, their own doctor's practice, where that really isn't available right now. You have to generally get your vaccinations at some sort of site. I mean, I got mine at the Hy-Vee grocery store in town. Um, and that's not a site where everyone wants to get their medical stuff done. They um, Oh, boy. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you guys about the atmosphere, the ambiance in my vaccination. So Ooh. we drove two and a half hours down to like rural southern Indiana where there was the J and J vaccine had just gotten approval. And so there weren't any appointments in Indianapolis, but there were some down South and we pull up to this semi abandoned strip mall. And there was just a a pop-up clinic that had happened in this giant empty building as part of a strip mall. There's just like, army doctors army nurses all crawling around the place and there's so few people that are coming for this shot that they're just like tossing a football around yeah it's a far cry from like uh safe comfortable sanitized physician's office yeah people there there is definitely an aesthetic that people like to have with their health care sometimes and that ain't it (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I get it. I do get it. That, yeah. that, you know, in good faith, that is logical to me. It didn't stop me personally, right, but I get right. it. Um, so those are the general good faith um, critiques of, of why someone may not be vaccinated. Um, I generally don't believe the um, trying to do the science-based critique of uh, not getting vaccinated. I mean, here's one thing. If someone is adamantly uh, anti-vax, there is actually a good chance they will know more about the science than someone who has gotten vaccinated um, because they're very invested in it. You know, this is like something, this is like, you know, the conspiracy theory thing is that people who believe conspiracy theories aren't, um, they aren't dumb about what's you know they have conspiracies about it's they they've looked really closely at it they know a lot about the thing um it just ends up being that they just don't believe like one crucial aspect of it or a few crucial aspects of it that lead to everybody else's interpretation so i don't really believe the medicalized version of it I don't believe the your body, your choice version of the argument, because like we said, your choice to get vaccinated or not does not just affect you. It affects everyone around us. So here's the thing where I'll I'll kind of step in and take the good faith role here is that although clearly it's we've shown through the course of this episode that you don't actually have a constitutional right to evade a vaccine mandate there is almost a a theological undercurrent of it that makes sense to me right like a a natural rights common law something like it yeah and just sort of of like yeah exactly and and just sort of like the way we treat other medical decisions you know there is sort of this deeply held tradition that 
our government should not impose medical decisions on us, whether or not that is a public health decision or not. So I'm thinking, and, and of course, this is vastly different, different circumstances and different procedures, but, you know, there have been arguments over time made in favor of forced sterilization, sort of saying that it's for the public good if some people, and of course the definition of some people is usually what's problematic, but if some people don't have kids, then that's going to be better for everyone socially. And and that's sort of fallen out of favor. We consider that garish today. And so... We consider it uncouth. It is... <laughs> we would not fraternize with that idea. Yeah, no, it, it's way worse than those words. <laughs> but yeah. anyway... Um, and so I do understand that there is this impulse to say we really don't want the government making any medical decisions on our behalf, but where it kind of breaks down. And I think probably where, where you kind of see the holes in it is that, and why it seems more political than truly deeply held is that there's not been huge blowback against MMR vaccines. We've, you know, people who have been attending higher education have always had to have an updated regimen of shots. A public school, you know, K-12 requires certain shots, and those are not protested as forcefully. And so what it is incumbent upon the anti-vaxxers to do is to prove why this coronavirus vaccine or any of the vaccines are uniquely bad or uniquely harmful. Additionally, that argument goes away when the entity imposing a vaccine mandate or mask mandate, for that matter, is not a government but a private business. So, for example, in New York City, they will be requiring certain, you know, certain private businesses will not allow you to enter unless you've been vaccinated. Jason Isbell, the country Americana singer is requiring either proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test to enter the shows on his upcoming tour. And that, to me, is fundamentally different because that is not a state agent imposing a medical decision upon an individual. That is a service provider limiting clientele based on optimal public health. But but I don't think that the people who are in that camp would care to make that distinction. It's all just vaccine bad, you know. But but I will also say, you know, the history of, you know, forced sterilization and stuff like that is bad. And it's almost all it is. It's always bad. I'll just go ahead and say that forced sterilization is a bad policy. And good, good, our, good that you came down on that side of that. Word. Yeah, I, I decided to not hedge my words. I'm going full throated. Um, but Are you doing it in the strongest possible terms. I fucking hate that. Phrase. <laughs> um, but anyway, it has not ever been shown that vaccines intentionally harm the people. <laughs> Um, like, like you said, it would be incumbent for people using that defense to show how vaccines are harmful to people before and not just this one, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's like saying, you know, people have had their food poisoned before, 
So I'm not going to have these fries from McDonald's, even though McDonald's has shown, shown again and again that they can make fries that are unpoisoned. Um, that may be a little bit frivolous analogy, but, you know, I made it up on the spot. Hey, if you're putting it into fries, I'm on board, man. Yeah. <laughs> the secret to Evan. So <laughs> there are a number of reasons why in good faith... Someone cannot, you know, could reasonably not have the vaccine at this point. And it will be said, I mean, we're like seven months into it, which is still relative, relatively early. But then also like in the past when the influenza vaccine came out or, you know, some other vaccines came out in the 20th century, they were able to vaccinate large swaths of the population way faster. But I'm also guessing that probably had to do with the idea of vaccines being a new technology that were seen as major progress and giving a better life, you know, almost like better marketing, you know, (laughs) like vaccines are a stable thing. And, you know, we in our society know they exist and they do lots of good, but it's so in the background, like we have a very good commons and we don't know that if we all go start trampling in it, that it's just going to go away because we've done such a good job of keeping it for so long. Um, And I mean, there have been several things throughout the years that have like destroyed credibility. I mean, a big one was, that crank who put out a paper that said, um, you know, the MMR vaccine caused autism. And um, there's a guy on YouTube named H Bomber Guy who did a like a two hour long video dissecting that whole thing. And it's, you know, it's kind of I, I, I really enjoyed it because it was just like show notes. Yeah, it was just crazy that this was ever picked up as a thing to begin with, because the paper itself was bonkers like it had a you know a populated studied population of 11 (laughs) like and and it turned out that none of the kids studied in it actually got autism after they got an mmr vaccine um (laughs) or they had it but it was just like you know it wasn't recognized yet so that did a lot of damage and then you know there are just on the back of that, there have been other notable figures throughout the years who it's one thing to kind of question a like vaccination regime for a child, you know, the sequencing, the what have you, because, you know, like even with the current vaccine, other vaccines will um, create a immune response that can, you know, make someone sick for a little while. So, Those are valid questions, but people take those valid questions to question the whole thing and not the, you know, not just the small thing. So where do we go from here, Evan? What do we do? Whoa. Well, you you think I'm some sort of crystal ball looking guy? You think I got a magic eight ball? Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess what we do is continue to attempt to show the positive effects of vaccination and dispel mythology surrounding it 
create, you know, have private entities that are willing to take on the mantle of withholding services from people who are unwilling to play ball. And um, if if this is where we're drifting, there's also a fear component of it that, um, you know, I think that that are that link you shared with me expressed that one of the biggest drivers of vaccination for the unvaccinated is when COVID hits home. The places that are seeing COVID spike more are seeing more and more people get vaccinated. You know, you think about Florida, Florida got hit relatively lightly in mm-hmm. the initial wave of the pandemic, despite DeSantis doing very, doing nothing to try to curb it. And so they were suffering from pretty low vaccination rates. And now uh, I think I saw something the other week that Florida has like 20% of all the nation's new COVID cases, like they are just getting ravaged. And so hopefully there will just be some sort of positive regression for vaccination rates in places that just hadn't seen the worst of it yet. Mm-hmm. I'll throw out a couple things um, that people have suggested that, and then go to the main one. Um, one is that, um, there's been the idea since basically before the vaccine started that we should just pay people to get vaccinated. Oh, yeah, um, that's good. I like that. That was there, who was that? John Delaney said that shit, among others. Yeah. And yeah, it's been something that's uh, been out in the discourse. But people also, um, you know, I have known some people who are vaccinated who are very bitter towards the unvaccinated, which in some ways I get. But it's like, you know, I did the thing that we were supposed to do. Why should they get paid to also do the thing that they're supposed to do? And I get that. Um, I saw on Twitter recently an interesting idea from like Mark Cuban um, that was like, hey, you know, what if we meet some of these anti-vaxxers where they're at and pass a bill that says, um, the United States will pay for any medical care related to um, complications with the vaccine to say, hey, if you ha- take this vaccine and end up having issues, we'll pay for your medical care, which, you know, we could we could spiral into a, um, you know, uh, disgruntled left of center person who's like, well, all health care should be covered. But. At least in this specific instance, that is something that could be done. Now, now, see, here's my problem with that is because I like that it like calls the bluff, but I think that it won't be effective. Like, I would be totally happy if we paid for all of the vaccine related health complications of anyone who gets the vaccines. Totally fine with me. We'll get to universal health care sometime or not, hopefully. But I think that what you'll see is that we put a program like that in place and some other reason pops up why people don't want to get vaccinated. Right. But then, but then here's, here's the Joe Hicks two step, the two step. It's a dance. Is this your new dance? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. First step is you get the FDA to fully authorize the vaccines. Um, Currently they're only authorized under an emergency youth authorization, which to me and I'm sure a lot of people who um, were very quick to get vaccinated, which I'm going to guess is most of our audience, that seems like an arbitrary distinction. But there are a, some set of people, like I said, most unvaccinated or there are vaccinated, unvaccinated people 
who are very up on the issue who will say, hey, I am not getting this because it's not fully certified by the FDA, which we mentioned on another episode. Why are they not (laughs) already fully (laughs) authorized it? I mean, I think they have a timeline of authorizing it on September 6th, but I cannot for any reason figure out why they would have to wait that long. What's going to change between now and then? But I guess they put a lot of faith in process, but that also the timer's destroys... not up yet, Joe. Yeah, the timer yeah. didn't go off. Dear God. So that's the first step of the the, the Joe Hicks two step dance for full population vaccination. And then um after you get the full uh authorization, then you just go in with your mandates from governments mandating vaccination to participate in whatever. I don't know if you full-on have the ability as the state to um, just generally mandate vaccination because there isn't quite a mechanism there. But like, you know, what we do with schools is that, you know, the reason why we mandate vaccinations for kids going to school is one, they're going into the school, but then this just creates a cycle where everyone as a kid gets vaccinated for everything and we don't have to worry about it in their adulthood. Um, so just creating mandates in which people are forced to get vaccinated. And I mean, um, you know, other countries have done this. I mean, France made it that if you wanted to go to like a public place or a cafe, you had to be vaccinated and their vaccination rates went up pretty significantly. The French want to go to their cafes. Um, now it does get complicated because our vaccines don't really work for the kids, but, um, or it hasn't been authorized for the kids yet. I'm sure it's perfectly fine, but, um, so that's where we run in at school, but you know, other places, jobs, different sectors. I mean, some governments are starting to do that, but also just kind of dishearteningly like public unions have, like for a lot, you know, during the early days of COVID said that, you know, tried to fight for more uh, restrictive, you know, measures that didn't put their members at risk, you know, saying that COVID, you know, is bad. I mean, think of teachers union, public health workers, you know, stuff that people who work with the government and recently they have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you can't force us to have a vaccine. Um, So I, I think they should, you know, every, um, you know, like police officer, EMT, school teacher, you know, uh, member of the government who faces the public should be vaccinated. So, yeah, I that's that's the two step plan. Get it authorized and mandate that people take it because so eventually catchy. they will. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> it's a two step. I got a song coming. The song's here. That was it. <laughs> Somebody put a backbeat to that. It'll be great. Some trap trap high hats. We'll get it. So, but in the meantime, we'll just be kind of getting vaccination as it happens. And hopefully it happens faster. And Delta doesn't get too many people. And it doesn't mutate into something even worse. Yeah, so let's touch on that quickly since you bring it up. The reason why it matters for us to achieve herd immunity and to stop the spread of the coronavirus is because how viruses work is that every time 
and I think I've explained this on our, our other podcast where, or maybe I didn't, I don't know. I read it in the premonition where every time that a virus enters into someone's body, it mutates a little bit. Most of the time that doesn't meaningfully impact what the virus does or how it affects the human body. But every now and again, something clicks within that viral mutation and it becomes much more infectious or much more deadly. And those are things that can really fuck us up because if the virus is in more people, that gives it more chances to mutate and generate a destructive variant, such as the Delta variant. And if the virus mutates too far from the virus that we built the vaccine for, we have to build a new vaccine for the new virus. And so, you know, even if you think, oh, well, you know, I can just get the virus, I'm young, I'll bounce back. Again, it's the tragedy of the commons. That may be true for you, but the more at bats we give this virus to mutate into something worse, the worse off we all are potentially. Yeah, you may be able to graze your cow for a little while, but then there won't be any grass. You know, you may be able to keep using clean dishes in the in the kitchen, but eventually there just may not be. Um, so, yeah, you can um, not get vaccinated and be healthy and not really be affected by the coronavirus. But you could also be and then also transmit it to somebody else. And also through you getting it and transmitting to someone else, it may mutate. So there's the risk. (laughs) And we're still doing coronavirus. And we're still talking about the fifth risk. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So we need to get on the sixth risk. We need to bump it up. Ooh. We need to find a new one. (laughs) (laughs) michael lewis where are you we need the sequel the sixth wrist (laughs) the sequel was the premonition so yeah sorry sorry if you're waiting for that turns out i owned i i I bought the 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 kindle version of it and i i didn't know i just got on my kindle it's like oh i guess i bought this book before it came out (laughs) (laughs) So so now you'll have to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, reading. Mm. Or at least you'll have to get to the point where you know that you could have read it. And then yeah. that'll be, you know, that'll be enough. Yeah. It feels like we're leading into a, one of those sponsorship brought to you by Blinkist. Read a book in 15 minutes. Yeah, I'm skeptical of that shit. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. But anyway... Evan, do you have anything else to say on the coronavirus vaccine debate? Yeah. um, The most persuasive one to me is the idea of medical autonomy. But again, you don't have a legal right to refuse a vaccine. And I want to hear what about this vaccine actually bugs you in a way that is scientifically distinct from previous vaccines that we've all been subjected to. Yep. Yep. Well, if you've listened to this, I hope you uh, realize our message is please get vaccinated, but um, maybe you will better understand why um, people aren't vaccinated, what's going on with it. And who knows? I doubt we convinced anybody, but you know, it, <laughs> like um, 
And an Ezra Klein piece I read and one of his realizations is that it turns out that maybe persuasion is not as powerful as we think it was or thought it was, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And especially if people's minds are made up or decided on something, it becomes very hard to change their minds, which is why the mandate is great. Um, (laughs) Because it just says, do it, not Oh, come around, or we'll figure it out. Um, come on, we'll be your best friend. You want to do thing? Get the vaccine. So, if we don't have anything else to talk about, eh? I think that's it yeah. for this episode. <laughs> um, we would like to hopefully thank we you told for enough listening. jokes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on your own self-imposed uh, bar of telling jokes, but. Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, we like to thank Anthony Hish for the music. But as always, my name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been adequately informed.